Will you join me in prayer? God, we ask that you meet us by your spirit as we enter your text this morning, God. We recognize that language can be limiting and confusing at times, and God, we, we just trust in you and in your life and in your word as we read and learn today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Our first scripture reading today is found in Psalm chapter 107, verses 1 through 3 and 17 through 22. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some were sick through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities endured infliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind, and let them offer thanksgiving and sacrifices and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. Our next scripture reading today is found in the book of John, uh, chap chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning once again. Our, our uh, preaching text this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The pericope, the, the section of this scripture, is titled, From Death to Life. And hear how the good news moves us from death to life. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, knowing the desires of flesh and senses, and were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what He has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Pray with me. Lord, we ask that in this text, full of deep thoughts and theological understandings, that You would open us up to the reception of that grace and truth that is here. God, we long for your grace. We long to be received in your loving arms, and so today, remind us that we are. The grass withers and the flower fades, but your word, O Lord, stands forever. Amen. And so we continue our journey with Christ this Lent looking at the steps of formation and discipleship as a Christian. We've looked back upon our baptism, knowing this marks the start of our journey, a welcoming into the beloved family of God by being marked and washed and set out on the road. We've considered what it means to have faith as well. And I would say it is not only our faith that forms in this journey, but our awareness of Christ's faithfulness to us which is important to keep in mind as we hear this reading together today. Through faithfulness, fidelity to the chosen journey, and to the grace of God's presence, we find ourselves journeying home in Christ. Last week, we playfully explored our foolishness and the wisdom of Christ that sets the body of Christ in a different category than the wisdom of the world. There's a riskiness to the Christian journey, a disregard for the wisdom of the age, and a taking up of something much deeper, much more free, as we find the power of Christ's wisdom to face the world. I hope that we will all see here this progression of the Christian formation journey. We move through the waters of baptism and then take the steps which strengthen and enable us to establish our identities in Christ. And looking ahead, we know that the journey will get more difficult. It will require surrender and sacrifice, all on a journey deeper into the heart of Christ. And so today we step into grace. Today we discover that while the journey will form us and demand us as we mature to be more like Christ, all of it is grace. None of our progress, none of our knowing or our unknowing, that we find along the way, none of anything we earn or deserve or we're entitled to, none of it. If you thought that foolish wisdom of Christ that ran counter to the wisdom of the world, if you thought that was something, you haven't seen anything yet. Grace is a key concept for us to reflect upon and to deeply internalize. We need it and we need to live in it. And it's also difficult to accept. This text is a cornerstone piece in Scripture for much theological conversation and study. It is central to much of our traditions, thoughts on salvation and the mercy and love of God. 
Now, you're likely familiar with the Protestant Reformation, which occurred in the 16th century in Europe. And there are a few texts from Scripture that stand out as so central to that moment in history, and this is certainly one of them. A couple of key figures from that time, Martin Luther, the Augustinian monk, and John Calvin, a French theologian and pastor. These two men were among many thinkers and ministers who recognized the systemic issues that plagued the Catholic Church, especially in this era, which were tied to power over people and to the church's ties to the political establishment and monarchies of the time. Now, Luther looked at this text in Ephesians as he formed his famous theological reflections on the specific power of grace to sanctify and save Christians. Luther claimed that salvation came from faith alone, not through works or acts of piety. Grace, along with Scripture and faith, were the, one of, some of the mo- most main theological statements for God's saving power and love. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. And Sola Gratia, grace alone. All other functions of the church and the life of faith were held under these concepts. How are we saved? By the revelation of Scripture alone, by the faith in or of Christ alone, by the grace of God alone. This argument is of great importance at the time of the Reformation because it began to erode the power dynamic that the church held over the people. They served at this time as an intermediary between the people and God, keeping them at distance through financial and ritual systems. But what the reformers did, what the power was that they questioned, they asked what truly matters in salvation and life with God. John Calvin was asking similar questions in his writings and his debate in the city of Geneva. Presbyterians, we look back to the work of Calvin, Calvinism, especially Calvin's Institutes on Christian Religion. It's a foundational theological text upon which we build many of our doctrines. Calvin systematized the workings of grace and salvation. Of particular interest to our study today, Calvin developed a theological framework called TULIP. It's an acronym of five letters to illustrate the five concepts of God's mercy for humanity. Now, without distracting us too much on this topic, the the I in the TULIP acronym stood for God's irresistible grace. The meaning is that God's grace was something that we cannot fight. It's something given freely and without merit to humanity who receive it through Christ. Theologians will nuance and play with this concept, and, and some go down a road talking about what's also called prevenient grace. Again, not to get into the weeds too far, but prevenient grace is a way of saying God's grace is out ahead of us. Now, Calvin resisted this concept a bit, rather connecting grace more deeply with his concepts of election and God's choosing of people. But the concepts that connect to grace, it's in God's hands, and it's freely given, it's without merit, and it is ahead of our own choosing. 
All right, so you're probably sitting there asking, why does this matter? Where does this all go? They say that preachers really only preach a handful of sermons, (laughs) just variations on a theme. And as you all have known me long enough, you know I've got a few choice arrows in my quiver. So spoiler alert, this one is about how God's grace is for us all. Like, God's grace is out ahead and choosing us, given freely, lavishly. And you've heard me preach on this many times. God's grace is for us. This is something I go back to again and again in my faith and my study, sitting with the joyous reality that God's grace is sufficient and given freely to me and to all of us. This is core for me. Grace given, grace out of death, grace when we don't deserve it, grace beyond entitlement or privilege, grace to the sinners, the poor, and the needy, grace to the ones who have it all figured out, grace to the experts, and grace to the misfits. And grace, not only as a balm to soothe our broken world, but grace also as a mighty gift that empowers and liberates people to dismantle injustice. Grace to the one who's at their furthest reach. Grace for the outsider. Grace for the hungry. Grace for the one who believes they are a lost cause. And grace for the one who I believe is a lost cause. You see, as Paul does... That it's this life we're living that is fraught with distractions, passions, desire that would call us down another path, another journey, down the road of wrath, just like everyone else. And into the mess, the maw of our struggle, God does not insert judgment or more death. Instead, God's presence is filled with mercy that leads us back home in grace. I mentioned earlier that the concept of faith would be important, and here we are. Verses 8 and 9 read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Let's bring this on home with one more theological reflection. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Remember the words earlier, sola gratia, by grace alone. But what about faith, sola fide, or sola scriptura, only scripture? And here's where, my friends, that it gets kind of cool, in my opinion. Grace that's given freely by God. But what about that faith? If it's faith alone, does it mean that I've got to wrangle up enough faith in myself to pass. But the text says that it's not about work or works or the work of faith, that no one gets to boast. Then doesn't the faith play an important part in this equation in actually making it impossible? No, because it's not about our faith. Well, it's not about our ability to have faith. It's actually about the faith that Christ has that does the saving work for us. I love this Greek word for faith, pistis. It is the pistis of Christ which saves us. Christ's fidelity to His purpose 
as Messiah, as Savior. The faithfulness of Christ is what leads him to the cross, the faithfulness that leads him to cry out in forsakenness to the Creator, faithfulness that leads him from death to life. Did we do any of these things ourselves? Are we willing to cry out to the whirlwind like Job and claim that the work of our salvation is of our own and our own merit? No. Again, sola fide, the faith of Christ alone. Sola gratia, the grace of God alone. Sola scriptura, the witness to it all alone. We're brought home in Christ through the unmerited grace of God. We do not need to boast. We do not need to hoard it. We need not do anything but accept it in gratitude. The passage today closes with this, for we are what He has made us, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. When we receive this grace, we take this step in accepting what is unmerited, and it's all gift, and that takes us into becoming like Christ, Christ followers. And it's from this place that then we are prepared to do good works as Christ does them. Here's where we get to it, where the rubber meets the road. As recipients of grace, we are equipped to share that grace with others. And I know these concepts can seem heady and abstract, and it's important for us to think about how this impacts us here at St. James Presbyterian in Bellingham, Washington. So hear this simply. You have been given grace. Do we deserve it? No. But don't let that derail us. We don't deserve it, but we have it. And maybe in your heart of hearts, you doubt that this could be. You've got some stuff, some baggage, some ways that have been more harmful than helpful. How could you possibly receive grace? Consider this. You have been given grace to be who you are with those flaws, with that baggage and the things that need healing. Grace can simply be an exhaled breath that helps you release your hold on those flaws. They don't disqualify you. And it is something that then can be offered toward others. Grace to others is a key in experiencing grace ourselves. So we give grace to each other again and again. Not grace that absolves the issues, but grace that says, in spite of the struggle that we create for each other, we are one in Christ's love, being made whole. Let's close. Today, I want to offer an invitation for you to know that you have been given grace. And for you to look at your neighbor across the Zoom screen, or here in a pew, or out on the streets of Bellingham, I want you to look at your neighbor and know that they have been given grace too. Not because any of us deserve it, but because we are beloved. And with that grace, we accept and love one another. 
We pursue healing for and with one another. And finally, we do none of this by our own strength, but with the power and the grace of Christ which dwells in us. Sola Scriptura, sola gratia, sola fide. To these we add two more, sole, which form the traditional five. Solo Cristo, through Christ alone, and soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. This is the step of grace, friends, to receive and celebrate the goodness of God's love and mercy for ourselves and all creation. Amen.